This program is brought to you by W. W. Norton and Company, publishers of Poetry Unbound by Patrick Otuma. Now in paperback and featuring immersive reflections on 50 powerful poems. Welcome to the guest editor Q&A, hosted by the Academy of American Poets. I'm Mary Sutton, senior content editor at the Academy, and I am here today with the guest editor for February, Honoré Fanon Jeffers. Honoré is the author of The Age of Phyllis and the wonderful novel, The Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois. Honoré, welcome and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right in. How did you approach curating Poem A Day for February, Black History Month? My first consideration was excellence. I just wanted to pick what I thought were great poems, but honestly, I wanted to highlight aesthetic accessibility too. I know that contemporary American poetry in the US leans toward poems that are harder to comprehend. And I do love an aesthetically difficult poem, but at this point in my life, I wanna open literature to people who aren't in my small world of poets only for poets. And finally, I was chosen to curate the month of February and that's Black History Month here in the US. So while the poets I chose were of Africana heritage, regardless of their national origins, Black History Month is my favorite month of the year. I have nicknamed it Afropalooza because it's an intellectual and cultural party for me. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. I'm really interested uh, in what you said about poetry, how esoteric and insular it can sometimes seem. The more people are reading poetry these days, there is still this sense that poetry is something that you have to read in school, right? Mm -hmm. um, that poetry is something mysterious and difficult. So could you tell us a bit more about how you try to make poetry more accessible in your writing and teaching? Well, I think that one of the things that always um, becomes very clear to me every semester that I do teach is um, the students are, you know, very excited about fiction, but only a very few are very excited about poetry. They look at poetry as something that they have to strain and labor to understand, um, or they just feel like they can vomit anything out on the page and it's supposed to be okay because it's for them. Um, as an African-American um, who 
comes from a tradition of historically black college. Um, both my parents taught at historically black colleges. Um, my mother is also a graduate or was also a graduate of um, an historically black college. I, I came up in a tradition that the word, that literature is supposed to be for everyone. And I think that has to do with the history of um, literacy being denied to African-Americans for so long under the law in the American South. And so um, literacy is very much pushed. Literature is very much pushed. So I wanted to gather a range of poems, but I wanted to, to really focus on poems that regular people could read and enjoy. Wonderful. In that vein, if you could direct readers to one poem in our collection at poets.org that you haven't curated, what would it be and why? I choose Sonnet to a Negro in Harlem by Helene Johnson, who is a lesser known poet of the Harlem Renaissance. And um, this is one of my favorite poems. I just love this poem because not many folks even now understand that African-American poets can write wonderfully in meter. I think it would be a great poem to include in a new racially diverse anthology on the sonnet, can't hint, and a great poem to teach. Um, when I read the poem, I have such a vivid image of the Black man that uh, Johnson writes about. I love your laughter, arrogant and bold. And I've often wondered, was this a stranger to Johnson? Was this a lover of Johnson? Who was this brother? So many questions arise, and I see new things every time I approach this poem. And who are you reading right now? I've been reading some non-U.S. poets lately um, to escape my own provinciality. I can return to poets that I've always read. You know, I can have my own little insular a group of poets who um, adhere to how I like a poem written and so on and so forth. And every now and then, probably once every 18 months to 24 months, I will say, Honoré, it's time to get out of this and, you know, um, explore a bit because I feel like if I want people to read me, I need to be reading. So right now I'm intent on finding work by Palestinian poets, such as, and I probably am not going to be pronouncing this well, Rasha Abdul Hadi and Musab Abu Toha. And I'm struck that um, what I've called the communal lyric, I've written about this before in African-American poetry, is used to great effect by these two poets whom I've encountered. And of course, I don't say discovered because these poets have been there before I started reading them. As I have um, written about, a communal lyric in African-American poetry powerfully utilizes a first-person speaker 
who represents a broader community. And usually they will talk about something of difficulty in history or in society, so forth. And um, when I'm when I started reading, um, you know, work by these poets, I I really recognized how much I needed to reach outside of my own experience. And um, I'm not someone who asks or expects a universal reading experience. I, I really don't think that even exists um, inside of a particular culture. But I will say that when I see a thematic or aesthetic connection between my own African community, African-American rather community and other global communities, like with these wonderful Palestinian poets, it's really a beautiful, intense experience. Speaking of connections between the African-American community and certain global communities, what I most appreciate about your work um, is the way in which you connect history to the present, reminding people of the ways in which we continue to live history, right? Um, in the age of Phyllis, if, if we may, you juxtapose, <laughs> <laughs> you juxtapose scenes uh, from the Middle Passage with two found poems about children um, and how they were treated by Border Patrol agents in detention centers during the Trump administration. Could you tell us more about your choice to make that connection in the book? Oh, wow. Um, I, was, I was really at the end of writing um, the Age of Phyllis, which, um, you, you know, if you've read the book, you know that it took me 15 years, really over 15 years, um, because I was doing uh, things furiously right at the end in the 16th year, right before it was going into um, production. And these children at the border, they haunted me. Um, I think a lot about children, probably because as a child, I didn't have much safety. And so um, many times, I hope I don't get choked up talking about this, when I will see little little children, people will post, you know, baby pictures and different things like that. And I will whisper to the screen, you know, they'll post on social media, may you always be blessed. May you always have safety. May you always be happy. Um, because I didn't have safety and I didn't have happiness as a child. I do now and I'm, I'm just deeply grateful for that. And so I think about those children, not many people talk about them anymore uh, at the border, but they're still there. Um, many of them are still there. Uh, the, the, the majority of them are still separated from their families. And so when I was thinking about the child who would be renamed Phyllis Wheatley, who is now known as Phyllis Wheatley Peters, I really um, campaigned for over a decade that we would call her by um, at least a, a bit of the name that she chose for herself. She was known as Phyllis Peters um, after her marriage to John Peters. 
but um, the um, the compromise I made was to call her uh, Phyllis Wheatley Peters. I thought of this little girl who um, her master, her former master, John Wheatley said she was between seven and eight years old. And I thought, how terrifying to be separated from the only people that you have ever known, to be separated from your community, your family, your parents. What was greatly distressing to me is that in so much of the scholarship, um, people seem to act like, oh, okay, well, she had this white lady, Susanna Wheatley, so who cares about the Africans? And um, I, I thought about that, and I thought about those little kids um, from, you know, Central America, um, you know, from, from along that border who had been separated from their parents. And I said, well, I'm not somebody who marches. I'm not somebody who goes out and protests. I'm a coward that way, but I can say something on the page so that, so that this will be known as long as this book is in print. And so that's why I did that. And what are you working on now in your writing, teaching, and publishing life? So I'm a college professor, um, and um, I've taught, uh, I'm laughing because it many times is a thankless job, um, especially now <laughs> in the state of Oklahoma, uh, where I teach, they have eliminated diversity um, uh, and, uh, and inclusion equity and inclusion programs. So to be a black college professor is to is to uh really be in the badlands, but you know, you, you somebody got to do it and and I was chosen to do it. Um so I've taught poetry workshops for quite some time. Um now that I'm a published novelist, I teach fiction as well. And I'm always looking for new ways to talk about craft with my students. Um, young writers are very demanding and they really keep you on your toes. And I always try to lead with a lot of love. It doesn't matter what the racial background is, the cultural background. Young folks need a lot of love and young writers, I think, need even more. So um, I'm currently working on making sure that I bring as much love as I can into the classroom, along with as much um, intellectual and artistic engagement in the classroom. Uh, aside from teaching, which is my first job, I'm finishing up, if God says the same, I'm a faithful person. So um, a collection of essays about Black feminist ancestral and literary lineages titled Misbehaving at the Crossroads and that the whole thing about the lineages seems really stuffy, but <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping to bring, a, a you know, as, um, as, as they say, put a little stank on that. Um, and um, I'm writing from the point of view of a daughter of Eatonton, Georgia, uh, which my mother is from Eatonton, Georgia, Alice Walker, uh, is from Eatonton, Georgia, the great um, uh, novelist and poet and essayist. My mother taught Alice Walker 
And so I'm really interested in what does it mean to be a Black feminist from, you know, this deep Southern space. And then after that, I'm continuing to conduct research for my in-progress biography of the great poet, uh, Lucille Clifton, uh, who was my second mother. And I'm real busy these days, but I'm grateful that people are still interested in my work. I'm very interested in, in these upcoming works. I cannot wait to read these books, especially that biography of Lucille Clifton. And I'm sure that others in our audience feel the same. Thank you so much, Honoré, for this time. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Day is the original daily poetry series featuring new poems by today's poets. Produced by the Academy of American Poets, this free digital series is made possible by you, our readers and listeners. Learn more about Poma Day, and if you can, please consider supporting this work by visiting poets.org slash give.